Last week, Chief Cadmus DeLorme of the Cowessess First Nation announced that 751 unmarked graves have been detected near the former Maryville Indian Residential School. Between the late 1800s and 1990s, more than 150,000 Indigenous children were forced to attend residential schools. The Canadian government recognizes 139 such institutions which aim to assimilate the children into the Canadian mainstream against their will. The missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate founded the Maryville Indian Residential School on December 19, 1898. The school was operated by various orders of the nuns and Catholic Church for the next 70 years until the Canadian government took the school over in 1969. The Cowessess First Nation ran the school starting in 1987. The school was closed in 1997. In this episode of True Crime Paranormal, Katie and Christy share more about this horrific discovery. Hey guys, and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. This is Katie Weaver, and I'm here with my co-anchor, sister, and partner in crime, Christy Brower. Hello. Hello. Hey, everybody. How's How's it it going? going? It's going really well. Uh, I'm just staying in the house and staying out of the heat. We're having Mm -hmm. record heat here. We are actually under a heat order for the first time in history. Yeah. Like high heat, dangerously high heat. Uh-huh. Just so weird. I mean, it's only June. But yeah. yeah, this has literally never happened here before that we've gotten high enough. We're going to hit the hundreds this week. Yeah. We normally, some some summers, we never hit 100. No. And some we no. might two or three times. Uh-huh. So, you know, just staying inside, working on stuff, having so much fun with the new stuff that we're doing here on the podcast. Since we changed our streaming provider, yeah. we are able to do a whole lot more stuff than we used to do. I'm really enjoying that. I hope you are too. You're probably noticing some new segments and things that are happening here on the show we haven't done before. And it's because we can now, which is super cool. It's very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a few weeks ago, we talked about the Kamloops Reservation in Canada, or not reservation, sorry, uh, Indian School in Canada Mm -hmm. that... uh, had discovered that they had about 215 unmarked graves of children. And we were horrified. And you guys were horrified. And the whole world was horrified. And we knew there was going to be more. But it was still horrific to think. But in the course really of that It's really sad school, that we all immediately went, this isn't the only one. Yeah. This is going oh, to yeah. be at other schools too. Like everybody oh, yeah. was like, oh, it's only the first one. That's yeah. so awful. It's, it's so awful. So we knew there'd be more coming. We anticipated, of course, there'd be more coming. Well, that shoe has fallen, and it is a doozy. Boy, isn't it? And the the Maryville Indian Residential School. So what they're saying is that they have identified with ground-penetrating radar 751 potential unmarked graves. Oh. So there is a a margin of error, so it may not be quite that many, but we're still looking at over 600. The other thing they don't know is 
it's possible that there could be more than one child in those graves, though they don't think so. They, these are not mass graves. They're saying they, they're not mass pits where like lots of children were thrown. They are individually buried and that many of these graves actually were marked with headstones until the Catholic Church removed those headstones in the 60s. Well, of course they did because, mm -hmm. you know, famous for hiding their shit. Yes. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So, of course, uh, everyone is just reeling, you know, over this news, particularly that community. This is in Saskatchewan, Canada. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that area is, is grieving heavily and, and are so angry as well they should be. So this school operated for a hundred years. Ugh. Now, everybody says that, you know, the governments, they hired the Catholic Church. They opened these schools. You know what's interesting about this school? Mm -hmm. It opened in 1898. Mm -hmm. In 1901, the Canadian government started funding it. So it was open for a couple of years, three years? Yep. Opened for first? three years first by the Catholic Church hmm. before they started receiving government funding. And that so were they me, like lobbying the government to get paid for this? Do you oh, think? I'm thinking so. Yeah. 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 I mean, that changes the narrative for me a little bit. I mean, I don't like it either way, but it changes the narrative a little bit to go, hmm, because it's so easy to go, oh, yeah, the government. Well, yeah, the governments have sucked in the way they have handled all of this is awful and the way they've treated the Native um, Americans and indigenous people in their countries is horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that uh, their credit should be given where credit's due. So yeah. I just find that to be a really interesting fact. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that changes it around. Like, this wasn't the government's idea. Yeah. So what we the know... Catholic Church opened the school. Yeah. So what we know about these kinds of schools are that the Canadian government, of course, is saying that there are 131 that they are 139 that they know of in Canada. Oh, my God. So I didn't realize there were that many. Yeah. Now, Kamloops, it was actually the government who released the uh, the study, you know, of because of, they, too, used ground penetrating radar to locate all of these graves. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not the same at Marival. It was actually the tribes that did it. So they were working in conjunction with uh, some activist groups who helped to fund it oh. to take a real look at what's going on there. So basically, it's been the assumption for a while then that there were bodies. They knew. The, the, they knew from anecdotal evidence from the stories they've been told from their elders. Okay. That there were lots and lots of graves dug at these mm -hmm. places. That, uh, children that never came home. From children that never came home. And so they knew, they've known that the, the deaths of these of the children in these facilities hasn't been in anywhere near, you know, been ad adequately portrayed. But they mm -hmm. didn't know the, the depth of it at all. So they were working with, this was the Cowessus First Nation. Mm -hmm. And they were working in collaboration with a group called Saskatchewan Polytechnic. Okay. And they, uh, 
So they're the ones that brought in the ground penetrating radar and did all the work. They actually planned this two years ago, but oh, wow. because of COVID-19, they hadn't really been able to get going. Mm-hmm. So they started their work on May 31st mm-hmm. and uh, finished it by June 23rd. So it didn't mm-hmm. take that long, you know, less than a month yeah. for them to uh, get their all of their proof together, you know. Right. Yeah. So is the plan now to do what? Uh, One thing they've done is they have demanded that all of the records from all of these schools be released. Because apparently there are a lot of records that have been held and sealed and the, uh, yeah, and the First Nations haven't been able to get a hold of them. So there has been an agreement now that the missionary oblates of Mary Immaculate will release all of their records. It doesn't necessarily help because they may or may not be accurate or truthful, but it's a start to at least try to recognize the graves of these children Mm -hmm. and, you know, at least uh, recognize them for their, you know, for their posterity, but, or for their relatives, you know, so that's kind of where they are right now. But obviously a fire is lit now Mm -hmm. across Canada and across the U.S. I feel like this is just the beginning. And I think that we'll start seeing reports like this coming out of the U.S. too. Well, we will because because they're working on it. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, right around where we live. Yeah. But did you know that a a form of this was also perpetrated by the Mormon church right here where we live? Oh, yeah. Native American children were taken from their parents Mm -hmm. and raised in Mormon families Mm -hmm. with the same kind of bullshit to assimilate them, to make them Christians, Mm -hmm. to make them act like white people and lose their languages and lose their uh, culture. And it wasn't so much a school as it was more like kidnapping, (laughs) basically. Forced adoption. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. But it was slavery, too. It was. Because a lot of families took these Native American children in and basically just worked them like slaves. And that's really what the goal was. Yeah. Horrifying. So So we've heard these stories. We've heard these stories through Mormon church history for a long, long time. Oh, yeah, definitely. I didn't realize there were anywhere near so many of those schools in Canada, though. That is just heartbreaking. I really want to know how many of those schools were in the U.S. Yes. Well, there were a lot here in the West. And I realize this isn't 1800s. That school operated, Maribel operated under the same rule until 1979. Good God. I had no idea that they operated that long. Yeah. Well, the school itself operated. So here's, well, actually, Wikipedia is a little confusing. So they say the Sisters of St. Joseph of St. Hyacinth operated the school from 1901 to 1979. The government of Canada took over running the school in 1969. So there must have been some kind of an agreement there Mm -hmm. for 10 years. But they, of course, had been funding it since 1901. Now, the Cowessus First Nation actually took the school over in 1987, and they oh. ran it for 10 years 
Mm-hmm. And then it was demolished and replaced mm-hmm. with a day school. Hmm. So in 1962 to 1963, they had 148 residents and 89 day students. That was uh, the peak of their enrollment. When they first started, they only had 14 students. And then they just grew and grew and grew mm-hmm. and grew. So they actually, at one point, students were allowed to visit their parents on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And then in 1933, they got a new principal who ended that. Mm-hmm. So they weren't allowed to see their families at all. Mm-hmm. When they got there, their hair was cut off, which is so disgusting and sad to me because, as we know, yes. hair and long hair is a part of their spirituality in a lot of right. indigenous or First Nation uh, cultures. And to yeah. cut their hair off is a taking of their identity. Well, it is because there are a lot of meanings behind hair and Mm-hmm. You know, most Native Americans don't cut their hair unless sometimes some tribes cut their hair um, when there's a death. Or, you know, there's various things. Right. And there's reasons. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But to forcefully cut their hair off is really, really dehumanizing. Yeah. Uh, they uh, did. They were assigned a number and that's the number that they were referred to by staff members. So they also were stripped of their names to some degree. And there was, and they weren't allowed to have a native name anyway. No. So they were very, you know, just stripped of their, basically their whole identity. And there was an expectation of staff to physically dominate students. My God. Yeah. So the question then is, how did all these kids die? Right. How did they all die? Well, it would be easy to go, well, it was abuse. It was neglect. They were all beaten and starved to death. And some of that is true. Uh, but there was also a ton of illness. Yeah. You are taking these kids from all of these different tribes. You're taking them into white people germs as usual, you know, yeah. as things were then and exposing them and putting them in all these close quarters in these drafty, crappy buildings. Yeah. And they're getting sick, getting sick. Uh, the number one reason that uh, kids died in residential schools, according to the Canadian government, was typhoid. Right. And then other childhood illnesses as well. And then, of course, yeah, there was abuse. There was neglect. There was starvation. There was other violence, you know. Mm-hmm. And and there was a horrifying amount of sexual abuse. I mean, besides the fact that they weren't allowed to speak their native tongue, they weren't allowed to worship in the way that they had been taught. They weren't allowed to acknowledge each other. I read an art or listened to a video yesterday of a woman who lived at Marival and she had siblings there. She had nine siblings there. Oh my God. And they weren't allowed to acknowledge each other. What? So when she'd see them like in the, in the lunch hall and saw her brother, she couldn't go hug him or tell him hi or anything. You weren't allowed to do that. Oh my God. You weren't allowed to have family, you know? Awful. It's awful. Yeah. yeah. We need to take a break. Yes. Let's take a break. And then I'm going to tell you some of the things that are happening in Canada right now uh, surrounding this stuff that uh, might give you a little hope and some ideas. Awesome. And we're back. This is Katie Weaver. Of course, you're listening to True Crime Paranormal. I'm here with Christy Brower. We're talking today about the Marival Indian residential school uh, findings 
of 751 unmarked graves of Native American children on their property and what it all means. I suspect that we are going to see a lot more of this come out here in the next few years. Um, I would imagine there's lots of cards starting to fall now. Uh, this has sent a lot of First Nations into a, such a tailwind of grief, and of course it should, and anger, and of course it should. And, you know, and it's, there are things happening, though, that I think that are important to note. One of them, uh, there was a TikTok that was released just recently of uh, the tribes associated with the Kamloops school uh, walking their children home. So we wanted to show you guys that video because it's really, really sweet. <laughs> And of course, uh, if, I don't know if you could read that or not, but that sweet little lady in the blue jacket at the end is 90 years old, and she's a survivor of the Kamloops school. And she was oh there to gosh. walk her brothers and sisters home. Right. Her uh, friends home. Uh, there's lots of ceremony and things like that being done. I think it's really, really important that we uh, acknowledge that and respect that. And right you know, recognize and support that in any way that we can. Yeah. Something else that's happening that I think is really neat. There are a couple of guys doing a walk across Canada. It's pretty cool. We'll put a link in the uh, uh, description of this video for you, but it's hashtag walk across Canada. Two guys named Adam and Stanley. They are walking 400 kilometers on foot to raise awareness for all those lost to the genocide against the indigenous people of North America. Nice. And they are walking uh, south and then east through Manitoba to Ontario and all the way across to the country. So they're continuing to walk and just talking to people as they go. And people are finding them, you know, to resupply them with whatever they need. They shared a picture on Facebook of one of their shoes uh, that they basically walked the whole tread off of. <laughs> oh, God. I'll bet because um, Canada is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that is quite a walk. Yeah. So they are uh, they're accepting donations on their website. So, again, we'll share that with you. But it is lightshipfoundation.com if you're interested. And they have a bunch of MMIW projects. But uh the other thing you can do if you're Canadian is just track their progress. And if they come through your town, make sure that you connect with them, right? That you provide them with whatever they need to keep going and whatever support they need and cover 
in the community, right? Support in the community and make sure that the people they're coming across are people that are not going to mistreat them, that are going to support them. Those are things that you can do. I thought that was pretty cool. That is. That is. I'm sure that for people that these children are their family, you know, they feel like they've got to do something. Yeah. Yeah. I know I would feel like that. Like I've got to do something to honor them and acknowledge their deaths. And, you know, yeah. I mean, we would all do that in, in our own way. Yeah. And I feel like we have to really be careful as white people to allow native tribes to do this in whatever way they're comfortable with, because these are mm-hmm. their children. Yeah. Yep. But we need to step out of the way. Yes. They should be able to grieve this however they want. They should be able to celebrate their lives however they want. Absolutely. They All should be do. able to seek reparations Absolutely. however they want. However they want. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. These they families been, are owed. Oh, yeah. Well, there had been a report uh, quite a few years ago that there was somewhere around, uh, they anticipated that there were around 6,000 children who had died in residential schools. Since these numbers have started coming out, they have revamped those numbers to 25,000. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. That is unbelievable. Yeah. That the generational trauma yes. and damage and scarring that that mm-hmm. has done is immeasurable, honestly. Well, now, you know, because of so much of the lack of culture, people are just, you know, now there's such a push to recover their languages and some of Mm -hmm. them are just gone forever and to recover their stories and their spirituality. And then there's a good push there. And I know like Rosetta Stone, I think there for a while, I hope they still are. They were providing free services to be able to create programs and share programs to share indigenous languages and to preserve them. Yeah. Because some of them are disappearing now because the very few people left to speak them are dying real quick. They're old. Yeah. So there, there's been a lot of pushes that direction in linguistics, not just Rosetta Stone, but lots of, uh, you know, attempts at linguistics to, uh, preserve languages and culture but there's so much more that needs to be done but the other thing that's happening in canada right now uh here in the u.s we celebrate the fourth of july that's our big you know celebrate america day well in canada canada day is on july 1st and many communities have canceled canada day this year interestingly because it was all pretty much canceled last year because of covid this year they're saying out of respect for these findings at both Kamloops and Maribel, they are canceling Canada Day. And As well, they should. Sure. Right? It's causing quite the controversy. You know, of course, they have plenty of people who think that's totally wrong. And lots of people who think it's totally right. Like, we have no business celebrating this country right now. We have work to do. We aren't going to disrespect our First Nations by doing that. Right. So that's an interesting controversy going on. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. But, but it's true. Like... How disrespectful can you get in the midst mm-hmm. of something like this? Yeah. Honestly, I feel the same way about the U.S., but that's another, oh, that's another conversation. <laughs> yeah. 
for sure. Yep. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, Ottawa has scaled theirs way back and most communities in that area have completely canceled. And some of them are canceling because of COVID. A lot of them are canceling because of the residential school stuff. But at any rate, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't think you'd ever see that in the U.S. ever. Oh, hell no. No. Certainly not enough respect for the indigenous people in the United States to do something no. like that, which is really unfortunate mm-hmm. because as this is coming out in Canada, you know, they're going to start, it's going to start coming out here in the U S too. Oh yeah. This is just going to be a domino effect. We're going to see more and more and more and good. Good. Why don't these children deserve for their names to be known? Why don't they mm-hmm. deserve for their graves to be marked? Why don't their families get to know what the hell happened to them? Right. Yeah. Now we won't know. We won't know at all. We won't be able to figure it all out, but we can surely try and, you know, we can support those efforts. We can support them financially if we need to. It looks like we're going to see more, you know, tribes doing it on their own, bringing in companies with ground penetrating radar. Let's keep our eyes peeled. If there's that's happening in your community, find a way to make a donation to get involved, to help in any way you can. So there you have it. That is our Wednesday episode. Come back tonight at 8 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Mountain Time, sorry. Christy will be here and she'll be bringing us our uh, evening uh, case updates. We have a whole bunch of them. Uh, Mark Means has been real busy pulling shenanigans. Well, there's big, uh, big doings in the Derek Chauvin case, too. Yes, big doings. Yeah. So all kinds of good stuff happening or interesting stuff or we'll just call it stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, Then, of course, we'll be back tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Mountain Time for the Psychic Hours. So check out our website, truecrimeparanormalpodcast.com. You can suggest a case from there. You can get a reading from me. You can get a reading from Christy. That's the way to connect. Be sure to like, subscribe, comment. We love having you here. Thanks, you guys, so much for all of your support. Thanks for being here. And happy Wednesday. You've been listening to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Take care. Thanks, guys.